ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. A champion at both tennis and basketball. She loved sports and she loved competition. She was fierce, and yet her name has been forgotten. Who was Aura Washington? Aura's story isn't just one of sporting success. She was a headliner everywhere. It's a story of struggle and injustice in a segregated America. It's not an accident that people weren't paying enough attention to her. I'm former pro basketball player Renee Montgomery, and I want to tell her story to reacquaint the world with a true sporting legend, Aura Washington. There's a whole story here that needs to be told. Untold Legends, a podcast from BBC Sounds and the BBC World Service. Search for Untold Legends wherever you found this podcast. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, I'm Melissa. And I'm Jesse. Welcome to the Reimagine Success Podcast. We're a husband and wife team who want to make a difference and change the way we all view success. We've had the privilege of interviewing so many amazing, talented, and successful guests. Each one of them experienced success in their own way. We want to change how society views success by inspiring you to live your best life and celebrate your successes no matter what that looks like, big and small. Success looks so different for everyone, and we want you to reimagine your success. Welcome to Season 2 of Reimagine Success. Welcome to Season 2 of Reimagine Success. So this is our second episode and we've just kicked off season two and I can't be more excited. It's just been a crazy ride so far and season two is gearing up to be unbelievable. Unbelievable. I cannot believe it has been six months of reimagined success. We are in 20 countries worldwide now and mm-hmm. we are in the top podcast in Canada for self-improvement. Yeah. So things have been going crazy it's, with us. It's just, it's really coming together. And um, we're, we, we can't be more excited about everything that's happening in our lives at the moment. And we've got a guest on today that is also just things are going crazy for him. Just and bananas. Just, uh, one of those people that's a hardworking dude and just killing it left and right. So I'll go and introduce him so we can get started because I feel like this interview is going to be really great. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing a good friend of mine, Bill Mitchell. He's a fashion designer and owner of an internationally selling custom jean brand called Billiam Jeans. From 2009 till present day, what was once a hobby tailoring clothes snowballed into a multi-million dollar business making one-to-one jeans for anyone and everyone. The flagship store based in Greenville, South Carolina is a mix of retail and manufacturing facility where patrons can be measured and watch their jeans come to life in front of them. So from Billion Billiam Jeans, welcome Bill Mitchell to welcome. the podcast. Glad to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. It's so good to see you, man. It's been too long since we've got to speak and hang out. So it's great that we get this chance to catch up and uh, see what's going on with the business and what's going on in your life. And uh, yeah, can't wait to dive in. Yeah. So why don't you go and start just by telling people your story, how you got started, you know, what what all that happened to get you into the jeans industry and the love of fashion. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, uh, yeah, first of all, thank you guys for having me. This is going to be this will be a great talk. I'm honored to be on the number one podcast uh, self-improvement in Canada. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a bunch of friends in in Toronto. Uh, and so um, hopefully they hear this, but, um, but yeah, so I, uh, I started 
tailoring clothes for myself in 2009. Uh, I was working at a call center at the time, bored out of my mind. And I figured that if I at least looked better while I was on the phones, mm -hmm. maybe I would enjoy my life a little bit more. You feel um, better. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And so dress, I was dressed for success. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so uh, I, I was tailoring clothes. I went back to college that next year with my sewing machine and ended up becoming uh, the person to tailor everyone's clothes. And after doing that for a long time, I was like, well, I wonder if I could make money at this. And, you know, maybe I should just make something from scratch rather than tailor people's clothes. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I went to like AC Moore or Joanne Fabrics and, uh, sorry, my air compressor just kicked on. <laughs> um, uh, and that was not uh, my stomach guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I bought a, uh, I bought a pattern and some denim. I made a pair of jeans and then the rest was history. Everybody just started asking me to make them jeans. Uh, so then I needed to find out how to source fabric and pattern make and, you know, and, and buy different machines. So it was kind of, um, like a hobby mm -hmm. when I was around a lot of people that just kind of, it started more of like a viral thing. And then I had to learn how to actually build the business of it. So yeah, that's the, that's the gist of the beginning times. Yeah. And, uh, you've always been pretty fashion forward. Uh, I remember back in the day. So Bill and I go back a long, long time. We were actually in a band together back around that same time, 2008, 2009. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I like to claim that I started your love for jeans by giving you an old <laughs> pair of Zara jeans that I'd shot with a shotgun uh, you did, and, and we we had <laughs> joked about making a line of jeans that we just shot up with different types of guns back in the day, and then you ended up making jeans. So it's all it's all because of me. Uh, <laughs> it clearly is, and I'm glad you had me on because I, I wanted to clear the air and say that that is true. But yes, yes. <laughs> so world, you hear it now. Jesse yeah. Bundy is the inspiration behind Billiam Jeans. Period. <laughs> End of the podcast. Yes, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Great interview. Thanks for coming. <laughs> no, but that's so that's so inspiring. Now, have you ever worked with a sewing machine before you started in 2009 um, making jeans and, and things that you started? Well, I think that's a good way to answer both those questions. So in seventh grade, I took home ec mm -hmm. and, you know, you learned how to cook. I mean, basically all the domestic skills. Learned to sew a button. Uh, yeah. And so I, I made a, like a little bag. And I just remember it was the first time that wasn't Legos or a puzzle where I was putting something together and I, I had created my own thing, my own physical product. And mm -hmm. so um, it, it was, uh, it was one of those moments too, where, I mean, this would have been in the nineties, probably in the, I don't know how old I would have been. Sorry, my thing's going off. Um, and uh Guys didn't sew back then. Oh my God. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, guys life. didn't sew back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was one of those things that I, I kind of put down because culturally it wasn't really acceptable as a young man to be sewing. And so it was kind of the same thing uh, at every other point in my life. I started to realize that maybe I like to do things that pushed the button, that made people ask certain questions. And so when it when it came to gathering my own personal style, being a musician or wearing women's jeans when you couldn't find skinny jeans as a guy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there there was this rebellious 
thing in me that started to form back then. And I found that clothing is one of the most, I mean, it's, it's the biggest first impression you make. And so I wanted to always kind of be uh, memorable and, you know, in a lot of ways rebellious. So when I was able to actually make clothes, I was able to take it to a length that maybe other people uh, couldn't. So mm-hmm. it, a blend of both of those, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, it's the vision. And then also you had to learn the skills to, yeah. um, I can probably sew a button, but that's probably about the most that I can do with a sewing machine. <laughs> yeah. I've never used a yeah. sewing machine myself either, but I am, teach you guys. I, I'm good at sewing things back together by hand, uh, though. That's far more annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I hate doing that. Right. Well, and now, so I want to go back for a second when you mentioned home ec and in school, I I think it's still like this now in school, home ec is for girls and wood shop is for boys. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just so that that's the standard and it shouldn't be because we all need to know a little bit about everything. Right. And, and we, we never know when that skill will be useful in our life. And And so going back to that, I am really proud of you for breaking out of the mold, you know, and actually embracing home ec and saying, no, this is what I'm doing. I'm creating a bag and I did this and I did this myself and I'm a boy, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. so if, if I would have went to shop class, um, which was really frowned upon for, for girls to go to shop class. Mm -hmm. And I would have learned a lot of skills that I feel like I would know today and that I need to know now. Um, there's a lot of stuff, you know, we just bought a house and there's so many things that we need to do. And I need to use a saw and I need to learn how to, you know, do things with tools and with wood and create things. And I'm, I'm just really happy that you were able to break out of the mold and say, Hey, I'm a boy, but I'm doing this and I'm going to use a sewing machine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think it's really important to identify those cultural things. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, it's almost more exciting to test those limits. Like uh, if um, like I always think about uh, florists, you know, when Valentine's Day is coming around, most men are buying flowers for their companion. Right. Mm -hmm. And but uh, most men don't know where to buy flowers. And so if there was a guy that was selling flowers, I'm sure all the guys would buy from that guy. Right. But usually men, a man would be afraid to have a flower shop, you know? And so to me, these are things that that cultural uh, confusion, I think, needs to be broken in a lot of ways. And I, I enjoy the people that do step up and, and, and break those. I, I like being that person. Yeah. I I'm really happy that you are. And I love that. Yeah. For me, it was really cool when you first started doing this because I was in the same boat as you, you know, we were both in the rocker lifestyle and all wanted to look cool and, you know, have the tight pants and we were forced to shop in the ladies section. And that when you first start doing it can be a little embarrassing. You know, you, you go up to the person be like, can I take these to a dressing room? And they look at you kind of (laughs) weird and you're like, no, I I, I just like my jeans tight and they don't make it like this for guys. And then, uh, the first time I ever saw a pair of your pants, um, a mutual friend of ours, Chris Hearn had, uh, we were hanging out and he's like, Hey, you like my pants? I was like, yeah, those are cool. Where'd you get them? Buckle. He's like, no, he's like, guess where else? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) He's like, these are billions. I was like, no way. And so it was really cool, you know, watching that come to life and watching those early pairs of jeans and they were 
they were much, you know, your, your whole setup back then was much simpler and much, uh, more homegrown. And now looking at the beast that it has become is crazy. If, uh, you know, we can see in the background of your shop here and I've been in it many times, but there's just machines everywhere and your whole setup is working together so seamlessly no pun intended <laughs> and uh, it's uh you're you're now printing custom t-shirts and doing all sorts of crazy stuff it, and so like your company has had many many different paths over the years so how has it been coming up with all these new creative ideas because i know you slave over that sort of thing yeah well i think this is an important thing for any creative uh, i like to say that you should scratch every itch until it stops itching and I think that when you're forming an idea, like uh, for me, when I started making custom jeans to begin with, so many people were calling me and asking me to make them jeans that I was following the demand. And after a while, I was like, am I just doing what other people want or am I doing what I want? And so I started trying things that I was curious about and not letting the demand tell me where I was going to go. I was going to force into new things. Mm -hmm. And after trying certain things that I was curious about, the jeans just kept nothing I did ever held a candle to the jeans. It just mm -hmm. kept pushing. And so um, after a while, I just realized that that itch was something that was probably going to be the thing that, you know, I've tested other things and it's not like I, um, it's like I have a hit and I have to play the hit all the time. I think when you're, when you are creating something, you want to try everything you possibly can. You know, you want to follow your passions and you might be a person that has a bunch of passions and maybe one is what you actually want to do. And the other is calling your attention more. And, and so I think you should try everything until you find that one thing that is, you know, is it. And so, um, that I've, I've basically, I've, I've made t-shirts from scratch, uh, mm -hmm. made sweatshirts, kids clothes leggings printed shirts masks oh my god so many masks and, uh, <laughs> aprons uh, aprons yeah i've done a lot of aprons so it's i kind of chased a lot of things um but ultimately yeah blue jeans is 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 my thing yeah it's like the staple yeah and you've done a lot of collaborations yeah. with with other companies too um what was the one company in england that you were working with yeah, they're, they're called Oliver Sweeney, and they are a, a huge shoe company in London. And uh, I did a collaboration with them where I was flying over to London every year doing pop-ups in their stores. And uh, I've spent um, about six weeks in the UK in total of all those pop-ups. And so wow. it, was, it was just really fun. The third time I was going over, it just felt like I was commuting to work. And um, <laughs> it was a strange feeling because... Like, how am I supposed to communicate to my other friends what it feels like to like be consistently building an audience in another country? It was like, <laughs> right? It was really weird. It was <laughs> really cool. Yeah, it still feels cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I got, I, we just got an order from London today. So it's, you know, it's, um, it's still, it's still moving. So it, that, those are cool moments. Okay. Awesome. Now I know you have a creative team and clearly you're branching out into all over the world. Um, what do you, do you have a vision yourself when you create say a new pair of jeans or a new item or a new t-shirt? Is that more your vision or do you have a creative team in place that kind of backs you up and, and gives you ideas? 
It's a mixture of it's a mixture of both. Okay. Uh, I have um, I have a few friends that uh, are in the music industry at a pretty high level and talk about how, or or even in the film industry at a higher level. You know, you have certain roles that people are working within, and so for me, I find that uh, either my team is an extension of me or they are hired specifically to fill a gap within the team that maybe I can't meet. So it's, it's definitely a group effort. And then mm-hmm. also I kind of have to make final decisions or sometimes steer the ship, right. but it, I'd say it's both. Right. That's awesome. And you know, that's, that's the best thing that you can do in any vision. Even if it's your vision, you have to have a creative team in place that is on board and that backs up your vision and that runs it just like you would run it. And like, it's their business as well. And I love that you give your creative team the opportunity to grow their brand and their vision as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had so many people come through here and everyone, I like to call it the Billiam University. It's like, (laughs) eventually you're going to go do something else. But the things you will see and experience from this room are just like the emails that we'll get or like, you know, if we get like, if we go fit a really cool band or a famous person, it's just like bringing those, bring the whole team into that room. So we're like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, eventually when they go do their own thing, they know what that feels like and they're more equipped to go, you know, be, be great in their own thing. So um, it's fun sharing those moments. Oh yeah. yeah. And you're helping them create their resume as well. Yeah. Well, it's also really lonely to keep those moments by yourself, you know, like Mm -hmm. you want, you want, uh, it's like going on vacation alone. Like that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you really want to share it with people that you love. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I totally get that with the music thing. Um, Bill and I, the biggest stage that I've ever played, we shared that experience together. Thompson bowling arena, uh, 24,000 people were there and it was just a wild experience. And it would have been so much less cool had I not had my buddies right there beside (laughs) me rocking out along with me. And so, um, I totally understand what you mean about that lonely feeling. So I'm going to ask you, and I know it's not the coolest thing, but go ahead and name drop a couple people that uh, you've put into your genes and some very recent that are pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say that one of my, one of my main things is that I am a musician of course, and I'm also a fashion designer. So I like to be in the mix of the music industry mm-hmm. uh, and have a lot of friends that have gone really, really far. So uh uh, Paramore was a really cool moment. Um, I become good friends with the guys in Third Eye Blind. Uh, that was really fun. Third Eye Blind was a fun moment because I had seen them after I met them. I would go and watch them play, and I've seen them like five or six times now. Mm-hmm. And it was just really weird hearing, like, you know, wish you would step back from that. Like, like hearing that, like over and over, and watching <laughs> them in my jeans. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the most recent one we just did was a band called the band Camino, which, uh, are an awesome band. Um, mm-hmm. a bunch of Christian bands, my, my favorite, uh, um, childhood band was a band called Reliant K and those mm-hmm. guys have become good friends. Uh, Toby Mack from DC talk. He, nice. uh, he's the homie. We text all the time. He's, he's an awesome guy. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of, it's just, it's just fun. You know, it's like, you see these names play places. You're like, Oh wow. I know that person now. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's freaking awesome. Uh, but more awesome than that is that you you don't just do this for yourself. When you first started all of this, um, you were anti-sex trafficking, and we're doing a lot of work with that. Recently, with COVID-19 efforts, you did a ton of stuff. So talk a little bit, bit about your charity work and what you've been able to give back to the community with, with what you do. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, that's also something that I think is really important to share when you have a skill set. Uh, I think you have a responsibility to your community and, um, you know, specifically in the mask scenario, people couldn't find masks during that two week shutdown. Like you mm. couldn't get disposable masks on Amazon even, you know, right. it was, the world was truly shut down. And so uh, um, I gave a bunch to uh, a organization um, called Upstate Pride that helps people who are immunocompromised or HIV positive in our town. And um, we gave, I think, 600 to them. We outfitted the entire, ho- uh, the entire hospital downtown, all the staff there. Then we did um, an organization called, um, oh man, it's been so long, uh, <laughs> Hispanic, Hispanic Alliance, which helped people that were undocumented in town that didn't have health care. Uh, Cause I was like, that's gotta be the scariest thing you know, especially oh, yeah. when COVID first came out, it was kind of like, if you get it, you die. <laughs> so, right. So, oh my God. And then, uh, and then we gave my favorite part of it was we outfitted the entire staff of the prison in town. And to me, there was something about the prisoners being stuck in prison while a global pandemic was going around and not being able to fend for themselves that I, I wanted to take care of them. Mm. And so those were like the four, um, and then, you know, for the first eight years, I gave 20% of my profit to fight human trafficking in Atlanta. And um, that ended up being very expensive and was something that I very much love doing. But I realized that uh, a lot of times in maybe more in the Christian world, you have missionaries that were so focused on the cause that they had bad family lives and their kids were starving, but they were trying to take care of other people. Mm -hmm. So there was a part of me that said, I won't be that dad, you know, and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna make sure that I take care of my team first before I start taking care of others. So uh, we did that for eight years. And then I basically restructured the business to pay my people more and figure out how to make Billiam a more sustainable thing for employment. Yeah, that makes total sense because at the end of the day, you want to be able to give back more. And in order to do that, you need to build your team a a little bit larger, a little bit bigger in order to go big and give big. So that's 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 a very smart thing to do, actually. Yeah, and and I've never used any investment, debt, credit cards from the beginning of this business. This has been cash from day one. Mm -hmm. And that's my favorite part about it is that it's taken me a long time to get these tools and to build this brand, but I've built it in a way that is, uh, to me, very methodical. It's very, it's a, it's got a good plan to it. And so using cash wisely was very important because I didn't have any more than what I had. Right, right. You know, and and I actually know exactly where you're coming from. Um, my comic book series, Deadly Crimson, I've done the exact same thing where everything that I have put into, I've put into myself and I have sold the books and all the money that has come in from books have gone right back into products and reinvesting and investing over again. Um, you know, so it's, it's very, 
is it takes a lot of time in order to do it that way versus getting an investor or you know getting an angel investor or someone that's from the outside but when you do it this way it's much more rewarding because you know you grow it the way that you see fit um you can also you know like i said you can give back whenever you're ready to you can build it to however you want to build it in the future and it's it's very it's very inspirational that you did it that way versus going out and get an investor, which I'm sure you could have done. Sometimes I wish I would have done it, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but agreed. agreed. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely the longer of the two paths to right. go that way. And, you know, you, you start in your parents' basement doing this. How long did it take you to actually go full time just making jeans and clothes and stuff like that, How, uh, where you weren't having to do another side hustle? Yeah, it took me six years yeah. before I didn't have a side hustle, maybe seven, but I didn't even pay myself through Billiam. Um, in fact, it was probably four years ago before I, like I paid myself the lowest of anyone here, mm -hmm. even when I paid myself. Uh, so, you know, and I look forward to having, you know, nice things in the future, the rewards of working very hard, but at the same time, it doesn't bother me that I don't have a really nice car or a very nice place to live right now. Those aren't, those aren't things I place value in because I know that this vehicle is going to take me to those places eventually. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Now, how did, how did you create your marketing strategy for Billiam? Um, I know you started small and then you worked your way up. Is, is this something that you've had to learn along the way or have, did you go to classes? Um, you know, how did you learn your marketing strategy? So I studied marketing in college. Okay, but cool. Me I, too. I think that there was a, that helped. I mean, that definitely did help. And, and maybe I don't give it as much credit as, as I should, but um, I think being around other entrepreneurs and watching the way they were positioning themselves was really important. But um, it's been very, very personal. Uh, for a while, I did a, a show called Live at Five, which was a... 5 p.m. Instagram live video. And uh, every day we would go live at five. And nice. um, I, think, I think I did that for six months every single workday. Wow. Um, and so doing that, I mean, it built a pretty big audience. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not huge in like the scale of what, you know, some brands have online, but I, I do feel like, uh, you know, like we reach a lot of people with our social in the sense that the people that are in this area, I feel like most people know who we are in this town. Mm -hmm. And um, in this town, there's a lot of people that wear jeans, you know, and so it, it works out. It <laughs> All works over, out well. actually. So if you're looking it for a new pair everyone. of jeans, <laughs> reach right? out. Right. Yeah. But yeah. you've also you've also gotten a lot of haters over the years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what, yeah. what's what's your uh, favorite hater stories? <laughs> well, I, I mean, when I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I've actually had maybe four times where I feel like I've really stepped on some stuff and um most of those times or are where I came up with something that made a lot of money. And mm -hmm. there is a trade-off to money quickly. And that is scrutiny. It's like being a politician. It's like you want a stage, but you're going to get scrutiny for that stage. Um, right. So you kind of have to be careful what you wish for a little bit. But a lot of those moments, I think were just, they happen to align with things that were more political at the time. And, uh, 
sometimes I enjoy crossing into that threshold a little bit. Um, that's <laughs> a little bit who I am. I, I'm, a, I'm a sarcastic. I try to be funny. I think that having humor part of a brand is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's okay, like, so wait, uh, wait, wait. Speaking on that, yeah. speaking on the humor, because uh, we've been watching your latest marketing campaign. And did <laughs> you really catch your parents in your dressing room? That is the question. <laughs> well, I, I actually asked my parents to go into my dress. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> oh, I so I, yeah, I, for those that don't know, I, I, uh, I did a, I've got a t-shirt printer where I can print anything on t-shirts. And so I, I did a little campaign that said, please do not have sex in our dressing room. And uh, I think that's what it said. Something um, along please, those yeah. lines. Please was, stop. Yeah. yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think for me, it's those very cheeky things that are, uh, they get people wondering, it's like, is this real or is this not kind of thing? That's, I love that line. So no, my parents didn't, but they were good sports. <laughs> we were joking. Jesse and I were joking and, and we, we were like, yeah, I'm sure he just told his parents to go in the dressing room and peek out and didn't even tell, didn't even say anything about what, what they were doing. And I'm sure they were a good sport and just did it. <laughs> Hey, my parents, they saw it on Facebook and my mom, uh, my mom knows, obviously she knows me well enough to know that I do these things all the time. So she was like, Bill, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So they played, they played along and it was just, it was so funny. So yeah. That's great. And that's a great marketing strategy. And I think that humor needs to be brought up more in marketing. I I know when we were watching, say, for example, the Super Bowl ads and the most uh, the 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 ads I liked the most were the really, really funny kind of outrageous ads and the very um, inspiring and motivational ads like those two really hit home for me. And, um, you know, that's that's what I definitely do in my marketing strategy as well. Yeah, it, it is hard when you, uh, you know, social media is a little bit of a challenge in the sense that it's, you always feel like you need to feed it all the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you don't plan how you're going to feed it and come up with actual, like for this month, we're going to promote humor or for this month on Father's Day, we're going to be talking all about fathers for yep. two weeks up till Father's Day. Yep. And if you don't, if you don't kind of follow either the holiday schedule or your own form of narrative, then you, you certainly can, you know, kind of go off the rails a little bit, but, you know, in the interim, I like to use humor as, as ways to build the bridges to the next kind of promotional point. Right. Now, do you have a social media team in place or do you do all the social media? Yeah, that's something that like, uh, for me, one of the, one of the things I've done is that I consider Billiam a sleeping giant. We have a huge amount of capacity, probably about the we could make around 500 pants in, in an eight hour shift if we wanted to nice. wow. and the, the math on that is a very large I, I don't know what the math would be but it, it's it's like a 50 million dollar business a year or something like that and the the challenge with being able to make that much is being able to sell that much mm-hmm. and so what i have done is basically not promoted while we learn how to build our capacity. And now that our capacity is getting to the point where we can make that many pants, now we're going to start formally marketing. But okay. I didn't 
I needed time to learn how to do this very confusing, challenging business from a manufacturing standpoint before I could start actually building the brand standpoint. And, you know, if you follow me online, you hear that I keep hinting at like this thing that's coming. And essentially what that is, is, is the first time we're ever going to really scale and push the marketing of the business. Nice. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's really smart because you do, you have to learn what you're doing first and, and realize how you can scale it. And then you can tackle getting it out there. And that's very smart, smart way to do it. Yeah. You, you know, it's like a lot of people want that, the attention, and there's a lot of people online that are just really popular. And what do they do? Like, who are you? Like, right? why do you have so many followers? Like, you know, for me, that's, that's not what I want. You know, I don't want to be popular until I know my path. Like mm-hmm. I'm, uh, you know, I'm essentially writing a very long movie right now and um, I'm not ready to release it, but it's starting to get to those closing scenes. Um, so yeah, 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 makes total sense. And and it's funny because like people don't see the behind the scenes stuff. They just see this guy who sells expensive jeans, and you've got this cool shop downtown Greenville, and it's it's real hip. And but they don't see the fact that you know you sleep on the floor of your shop a lot of nights, uh, especially yeah. during that COVID time. I remember we tried. I I kept trying to like hang out with you because I was bored. It was COVID, <laughs> and you're like, I'm sorry, man. I can't. I can't risk infecting these masks that I'm trying to get out to the world. And like, they don't see that you, you literally put your heart and soul and life into what you're doing in order to make it successful. Yeah, man. You know, and, and there is a part of me that doesn't even feel like it's a choice. It feels like I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm almost like I'm playing, uh, like I, I feel a responsibility, you know, and that, that is, uh, that's something I feel lucky to have because I, I, I don't know. I, I do know. I do know a handful of people that have that, but I, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I, I'm glad I, I have that thing. Yeah. 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 Makes total sense. Now, how has putting so much energy and effort um, into your company it ha- affected your relationships? Like Jesse said, he wasn't able to hang out with you. Um, it, how has that affected not only your friendships, but your personal relationships, your family life? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I think one of the isolating things that happens in life is just getting older, you know, like you find that people begin moving in different directions and, and the friendships that you once had, for even long periods of time are no longer relevant. Um, and then sometimes, you know, friendships just come back in your life out of nowhere and you're like, wow, this is, this is really interesting. So, uh, you know, and, and then I think the other thing too, is that when, uh, when you are focused on something for a very long stretch of time, the amount of other people that have been focused on one thing for that long of a time becomes a very small group of people. Mm-hmm. And, I find that I need to speak with people and have relationships with people that understand the same level of stress or the pressure of having a brand that's mm-hmm. growing. Uh, so I think my friendships have changed in a lot of ways where maybe they are more phone call, text message, more remote friendships with people in other cities. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I do spend a lot of time just working and giving my, my personal time as well to my business. Uh, but as I was saying earlier, it does feel like a delayed gratification. I think I'll have those, those things one day when I iron out some of the business here. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
but yeah, it's, it's almost like the highs for me are getting higher and the lows are getting lower. So it's like, um, you know, it's, it is like trying um, to find that balance. That's right. Yes. I would say to, sorry, were you gonna say Jesse? Uh, You can finish. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, overall, I think it's just getting more complicated to figure that, that whole thing out. But Um, I do have, I have a great group of friends, a couple of group texts that I keep going on and I see my family all the time. And, and that's, um, that's pretty much all I need. I think right now, you know, and I was going to say, we're kind of in the same boat. We have a lot of things going on constantly all the time. And we are, this is our office space. So we are literally, you know, in our office space, constantly Mm -hmm. growing everything that we're trying to do. And there's a lot of late nights where we're just up till 12, one o'clock in the morning. And what I've found is that friends that just want to hang out, um, we, typically, and we're really sorry about this. We don't mean to, but we typically don't, don't do as many hangouts anymore. Um, it's, it's, oh, okay. We can get together and work on something creatively. You are, you know, and, and work on it. And then we can hang out and have dinner afterwards or something like that. Um, but typically that's, that's what I have found with a lot of our relationships. Um, just curious if you find yourself in that same boat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the way that I like to describe it is, uh, um, the usually people have varying levels of ambition. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, what becomes very, uh, exciting is to communicate with other people that have that sense of ambition. And yes. so I don't really just want to go to the bar and just stay out late because I know that I have to do a bunch of stuff or think about a bunch of stuff that mm-hmm. night yep. and just kind of draining it or like trying to cover up the stress with something else is not what I'm interested in. I, exactly. I'm staying. In. So the people that I like to hang out with usually feel the same way about going out to a bar. They don't, that's not it. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I go out to bars. I love hanging out with people, but that becomes a more seldom thing. Or if a friend comes in town, um, then it, it it's like, okay, absolutely. That's great. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And we, we're kind of doing the same stuff where we are trying to only surround ourselves with people that are pushing us forward. And if your energy isn't helping our energy to grow, then we just don't have time for that in our lives right now. And we're, yep. we hate it because there's a lot of sweet people that are good, good hangs, you know, they just, um, ev- you can get together with them and have a, have a fun night and that's it but they're not the kind of people that are going to propel you forward in life. They're not the kind of people that are going to encourage you. They're not going to be the people that are in your corner when you need them to be. And unfortunately in this season, we just, we can't waste the precious moments that we have on relationships that aren't driving our future. Yes. That is a sacrifice that I think is worth making. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how much are you willing? I think one of the things is, is like, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot. Like I would sell all of my possessions and have nothing if there was, if I needed to do it for this business, I would do it all, you know? Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. um, it's, I, it's your baby. I, it's, it's something that you are growing. It's something that you're proud of and it's something that is your legacy. You know, and, and you have to grow your legacy. Yeah. And if a friend, if a friend, um, I don't know if that's just not, uh, if that doesn't, um, 
feel reciprocal or something like that, that is something that's easy to sacrifice compared to what I would be willing to sacrifice. Right. So yeah, a lot of, right. a lot of old friends. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you're doing in your life to help keep yourself grounded through all this? Are you practicing any kind of meditation or like self-reflection in your time? Well, the, the biggest thing that I have learned recently is putting myself uh, on a bit of a structure um, or adding structure to my life in the sense that I have an alarm clock at eight o'clock. Uh, so I wake up every day at eight. I've got an alarm clock at 945 where I leave for work. I get in at 10. We do one specific task from 10 to 12, an alarm clock at 12. So then I go from lunch to 12 to one. From one to three, I focus on one thing. And from three to five, I focus on something else. Yep. So my my day from time waking up till five o'clock is measured. And um, and I know how much I can, how much output I can put out every day. Mm-hmm. So then I can plan based on how many things I can do. So that structure has brought a lot of um a lot of freedom to me. Uh and I think that, um, you know, when I take a shower, I sit down in the shower, just in a little like probably fetal position. I'm probably so stressed, <laughs> that I'm just, you know, but I sit down in the shower and I, I do I, that does turn into a form of meditation for me because I'm just kind of closing my eyes, thinking, focusing, mm-hmm. clearing my mind. And I do that every day, um, you know, and then I like to end the night with I'll make tea uh, before I go to bed and I'll just sit there and just drink some tea and just kind of think. Um, yep. But yeah, those, those things are really great. I, I have at times had a therapist where I go and meet um, once a month with a therapist and kind of do talk therapy. Um, during COVID, I feel like that got a little confusing with doing things remote and all that. So mm-hmm. I haven't started back up with that, but that's something that I, I, would, I would like to tap back into. Um, and then another thing is uh, I buy season tickets to things. So I have something every month an event that I know is on the schedule. So I have something to look forward to in the next month. Um, whether that's like the minor league baseball team in town tickets mm-hmm. there, I have tickets to the Broadway venue in Greenville. So I have once a month tickets there. Um, and then I, I like to go to a lot of concerts too, just kind of something once a week that, that enriches me. Basically. Right. Right. And, yeah. and can help grow your personal self as well as your work self, which we, we need to have a good balance of work and growth in our personal lives as well. Yeah. Especially as creators, if we're constantly putting out, putting out, putting out all of our energy then, and we're not filling ourselves with things that inspire us or give us, you know, those nice warm feelings that, Mm -hmm. that create the creativeness inside of us, then it's hard to continue to constantly pour out of ourselves. Um, Melissa and I last night, night we had planned to uh do a bunch of work after our day jobs and you know do our creative work but we've we've just been so exhausted and we ended up moving yeah yeah this this last couple weeks has been a nightmare for us uh, getting stuff done and so we ended up just uh sitting around watching elon musk interviews and being inspired for the Mm -hmm. evening instead because you know what you just need to be inspired sometimes Mm -hmm. and that fueled us to get busy today and we're going to do a lot of creative stuff later today and it's just it's it's you have to feed your soul you have to and if you don't your creativity is going to die and you got to keep that maintained well and i would also say too that i think it's important to be to screw it all up 
to put too much on your plate and just run that plane into the ground because, you know, most of my best work comes after I have, after I have to face the music, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I, what I would do when I was extremely depressed uh, is I put a calendar in my kitchen, you know, like a desktop calendar. I went to Target and bought, I think it was like a Lily Pulitzer floral calendar in my kitchen. <laughs> And I had a Sharpie on it. And I was just, I was at a level of depression where I had to measure if it was a good day or a bad day. And so if I had four bad days in a row, I knew that my drive within myself, I couldn't let myself go too long of a time before I had a good day. So I would, I would just start with the basics of just like, just have a good day today, buddy. Like just, <laughs> that, you know, and Pat so yourself on the head. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Just, you know, go to the mall or so, just like do something. <laughs> um, and so I think that those times though, of feeling so alone and so depressed really allowed me to understand what it was like to uh, want acceptance and want friendship. So when I do open my stores, I understand how to be that friend or I know how to relate to people that man, like, I don't know what to wear anymore. I don't know who I am. Like, can you just dress me and give me an identity? <laughs> like, yes, I've been there. I can do this. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. That And that is so cool that you can say, hey, I can give you an identity. How cool is that? That when you see someone walking on the street and it's the jeans you created, designed, and, and you're like, Hey, those, I am dressing you like you are, that is part of my energy that is given to you. And that's really cool. Yeah. Especially when they look really good in the jeans. So you're yeah. like, that's right. I mean, so many, I have helped a lot of butts, a lot of, really <laughs> good. yeah. All right. Well, mine's going to be next. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I'm going to, my next, I'm going to do Atlanta and I'm going to do Charlotte in the future. Those are my next two locations. Awesome. Let me know. I have a lot of people here in Atlanta, you know, hometown. Now you've got (laughs) a new line that you've just released uh, and you did a big thing for it. The whole 1970s look, you're rocking it yourself right now. Uh, What was your inspiration behind all that? Excellent question. So, uh, in the, in the craft world, when you're making a product, usually what happens is you start looking what everyone to your left is doing, what everyone to your right is doing, and you become obsessed with competing with those people. Mm-hmm. So for a very long time, my brand was all about competing with people that were doing the same thing that I was doing. And during COVID, you know, there were a lot of things in my life that was kind of hitting this reset. And it was, it was a, a time for me to say, I don't want to pay attention to what everyone else is doing right now. I just want to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I went back to my roots as a musician and I started to think of, you know, what were the coolest musicians? What were the coolest looking, the coolest looking menswear, I think. And the guys from Woodstock, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the Jimmy Page, the, you know, the, the guys from Pink Floyd, these old photos of these rock stars from the seventies, that to me was, that's the golden era of musician clothing. Right. Um, so I was like, well, it's going to take me a long time to grow my hair out and look like that person, but I'm going to start now. So, you know, that was, that was part of it as I wanted to look like that character. And then the other aspect of it too, was that, you know, if you look at what was happening in the seventies, you have the same things socially, politically, environmentally, all of these conversations seem to be mirroring what was happening in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that our generation has never really, specifically in menswear, uh, you've never had an ability to go to the mall and get a pair of flares for men. It's the same thing as skinnies for men. Back then we had to go buy women's skinnies to wear clothes uh, that we loved. So I think what's happening is that same thing, but now I'm gonna be part of the solution. And if men wanna wear flares, I'm going to be the thing that's gonna start that trend. So cool. um, yeah, that, that kind of, it's like a full circle in a lot of different ways. But um, to me, it's my first real identity that I'm putting out that says like, as a designer, here's my mark. Here's my signature. This is who I am. And it's going to look different than everybody else. Yeah. And you're supposed to in life yeah. we, as creatives in life, we are creating, we're not following, we're not following what everyone else is doing. We are creating. And I think a lot of people forget that. And they're like, well, that's not even a trend. That's, you know, something that's so old, but no, like you are turning something that is an older trend into a new trend and making it today and making it 2022. Yeah. Giving it that fresh life. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing, too, with that is that um, flares, specifically for women, it, it, no, it's, it's for everybody. It has to be dependent on your height. So if you're six foot four and you wear a pair of flares that's built for somebody that's five foot four, it's going to it's not going to look right. You know, yeah, so right. women have always had this issue getting the knee at the right point. So it, the, the pant is proportionate on your body. And so flares are the hardest thing to make uh, not custom. You can't really stack these up and make 10,000 of these and hope it's going to fit everybody. It really is important to have different lengths and, and to do it custom. So for me, it's, it's also a competitive advantage the way I've built my business and that I can just school any big jean company right now making flares. Yeah. So that's now, now, do you do, um, do you do customers send in their measurements and you make custom jeans that way, or do they have to come in to your shop and get measured by professionals? Ultimately the plan will be you download an app that uh -huh. you can scan yourself at home okay. and then we can take those measurements in that way. That technology is coming out. It's kind of like when you're hearing Elon Musk talk about all the really fascinating things that you're doing with AI. And, you know, um, you know, I'm hearing him talk about these, um, you know, robotic, you know, robots that you can program to use AI to do your tasks. And I was like, well, man, my factory could really be run by these robots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so to me, it's figuring out how to automate the process of getting people's measurements. Um, but technology and, uh, um, yeah, developers are starting to move into that space. So it is a perfect time to be doing, I feel like what I'm doing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but yes, to answer your question, I either have to FaceTime with you or you have to come into the store or you have to mail me a pair of jeans you like, and then I can get the measurements that way. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. and your, your custom whole, whole, you know, idea has been really cool because you are able to literally make a pair of pants that somebody can think of out of their brain with anything that they want on it. I remember we were talking about this a while back. Like if I wanted a random tiny pocket on the knee, you know, you could do that. Like we could sit down and come up with any crazy idea that I want for a pair of pants. And ultimately by the end of the day, I will have that pair of pants. Yeah. Yes. And 
And yeah. that's, that's, you don't get that anywhere no, else. You, you can't, you don't. can't walk into the mall and uh, just find a pair of jeans. That's exactly what you're looking for, no matter what, but you can walk into Billiam and get that pair of jeans that day. Just mind-blowingly awesome. <laughs> well, and the, the challenge is, is that I have to price it high or else I'd have the craziest people coming in you know, for 50 bucks and asking me to do the hardest work, you know? So right. it's like, um, price becomes the thing that, uh, that like allows you access to that level of creativity. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so we are always figuring out ways to either, uh, make that easier for people to understand or, you know, make it either more expensive or cheaper, whatever that is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, people have a ball when they come in, they really, I mean, you also have to remember that a lot of people just can't find jeans that fit them, you know, yeah. so Amen. <laughs> right? just doing the minimum, just giving you a pair of pants that fits, you know, that's, that's enough. And then yeah. when you, you know, I've got a pair of pants right now where I'm doing a, it's a normal pair of pants and it has another uh, fabric on the butt. So she wanted a heart inlay on the butt. And so, okay, we'll do it. Yeah, There you go. Why not? Have a little peach. And that was my own mother. No. <laughs> in in your dressing room. Linda, in my dressing on. room. That's right. That's right. All right. Awesome. Well, um, where uh what are your future goals and where do you see the company going? I know that you have the 1970 flares. Do you see that that is your only vision, or is there is there other creative outlets that you see for the future? So I have a, I'll tell you guys my big plan. So hopefully this can be timestamped. <laughs> we're, we're breaking it here on Reimagine Success. This is the big plan for Billiam. This is it. This really is the first time I'll share it. So um, the first thing was basically figuring out after practicing for 13 years, how to make jeans. It was figuring out what is the Billiam jean look like? So I designed that jean and no one's seen this yet, but I've designed this thing. Okay. Okay. I have hired my pattern maker to uh, go ahead and um, turn that design into a scaled pattern in a very small sizes all the way to, you know, plus sizes. So that pattern is about to come in. I have the most technical denim that I possibly could find. I searched everywhere for it. I have pallets of that fabric coming in this week. Nice. Um, I, what, what do you mean uh, by technical denim? So it has like polyester and lycra, like the, the futuristic, uh, it, it's like recyclable. It, it's, they use recycled fibers to make the denim. Um, but it's, it's basically the future of denim. It's the, the highest technical, technical fabrics you can get in denim. Cool. Okay. So, um, so does that mean so, that these fabrics will last a little bit longer than the jeans absolutely. we currently have? Okay, cool. Absolutely. Yep. And then, uh, and then in two weeks, I, I'm going to a trade show in Atlanta to demo machines as like, I'm like a sewing machine influencer for the largest sewing machine company in the world. So nice. Uh, nice. I will go down to this conference and kind of get their stamp of approval that says, Hey, in the world of American manufacturing, Billiam jeans is at the top. So nice. well, that'll be really cool. We, thank you. That'll be, that relationship is, that's everything. So yeah. I, I purchased a bunch of machines that I'm going to be demoing at that, at that show. And I will take those machines home with me 
and put them into the line. So our, basically our pattern, our, um, our materials and the machines to manufacture this whole new thing is gonna culminate this month. And at the same time, the location that I'm at, it's a 60 acre park that has been being built for the last two and a half years. Uh, that opens also this month too. So all wow. of this is culminating at one time. Um, and so basically having that, uh, that system together, now I can start opening up other stores and expanding from here. So basically it's, um, I figured it's out how to, to go put big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, and there, it gets way bigger and headier, but I feel like that's, uh, that's a pretty good, that's where we're heading right now. And that mm -hmm. will be very, very scalable. That's fantastic. I'm super proud of you, buddy. First of all. Uh, and I just want to, I want to say that a lot of people, you know, they don't understand boutique jeans. They, they look at your price tag and they're like, Oh my God, three, four, $500 for a pair of pants. That's ridiculous. I would never pay that, but they would go and buy a tuxedo or a suit or a dress and pay unbelievable amounts of money. And I, there's a lot of people that don't understand that sometimes jeans are your tuxedo, you know, depending on what line of work you're on. And if you're, if you're in the rock industry or you know, music industry of any type, uh, a good pair of jeans is the most important part of your outfit. Cause then you can just throw on a t-shirt with it or whatever, you know, whatever your look is, but you got to have that, that, that piece that's going to just make a statement and your jeans tend to make that statement. And so when people are out there looking for jeans and they're worried about the price, you have to remember that you're not just buying your normal pair of pants to wear around the house, which I'm sure yours are plenty comfortable and able to do that with as well. But you're also wearing some buying something that you can wear to any occasion that you need to. And so when thinking about that, uh, what what's been your main deterrence? Like, has it has it been a struggle for you? I know pricing is always the hardest part. Like how do you justify in your head? Okay. I know this is high for most people, but this is reasonably what this has to be. How, how's that process look like for you? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, like when you start, uh, when you start cooking and you start realizing that it really is nice to have a nice knife, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then you're like, wow, okay. Like, um, I should have a nice cutting board because I have a nice knife. And then, well, I should get nice, fresh ingredients. And, and maybe I should start learning, you know, what other tools I could get, or, you know, and you start really starting to learn this process. Clothing is very similar. There are, there are people that don't place any value on that. And I think that um, social pressure in a lot of different ways keeps people not wanting to stand out. Mm -hmm. where people want to buy the thing that allows them to fit in the group to, you know, uh, to be part of something. And so I usually make for the people that do stand out. Um, I make for the people that uh, have an appreciation to a certain level where they're ready to go to the highest they can go. Um, so I think that to me, the pricing is just a statement of it is a, I, I want the people who want this level of um, service to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I think that for other people, when they come through, I'm very fine with people not understanding 
why they are so expensive. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's one way of doing it, you know. But I think the other thing is I do want to get a low priced option together. And uh, you know, I sell vintage jeans in the shop for a hundred bucks. So if you want something really rare, something a little bit more affordable, we have that here. Um, I have cheaper prices for jeans that you can just walk out with that I don't tailor. And then I have the kind of crew de gras, like the top of the line, you know, you build it kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, having that level of pricing based on how much time it's going to take me to do it is something that that I think is important. But um, yeah. For a long time, it was just, it's just hard. And I just couldn't say yes to everybody. It's like, listen, I know you want me to craft this crazy looking 30 different fabrics. Like I'm not doing it. Like, no, so yeah. Like you don't have enough money for that. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I've said yes to those a few times to the point where I know that I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't in good mental health say yes to those anymore. Yeah. And it it it's it is really funny because jeans or clothes um you know Jesse and I when I, when we moved he really saw how many clothes and dresses and shoes and everything that I have so much that my closet fell. Um and we had to redo my closet. But it's because I love looking like me everywhere I go and I don't want to always look the same. I like looking different. And, you know, I, I'm on a red carpet and I want to feel my best. I want to look my best and I want clothes that fit however I feel that day, because how I feel today is not going to be how I feel tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that you customize your jeans. So then that way, if I am liking the jeans today, then maybe there's another pair that I will like tomorrow, you know, and, and you have those different jeans that, you know, Hey, these are the, these are my go-to today. These are my go-to I'm feeling this way today. Um, yeah. so I, I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I would say on top of that, that the way that I see life is that you are playing a character and what character are you dressing like, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and I think it's very important, you know, not to, not to look confused within that, to have some kind of consistency in how you're carrying yourself at every moment in life. And mm-hmm. I think there's levels, if I wanted to be a, like I've chosen to be a seventies character. So I will have a mustache, longer hair. I'm going to wear flares, boots every day, but there's ways that if I'm going to a wedding, I'm still going to be a seventies character I'm not going to change and start wearing a men's warehouse suit to look, you know, like a wedding guy. Like I'm still going to be the seventies character. So how do I take that same character and dress it up? Mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of people um, maybe don't hold such hardcore rules for themselves, but I think it's really fun when you start putting those rules um, and like playing into it. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's, I think an elevated way to live life. I do a lot of acting. So I'm always these crazy different characters. I'll be a nurse one day. And then, you know, the next day I'm in jail. And then the next day I'm, I'm dead on set. So, you know, or a zombie, it's, it's, I'm always something different. And I, I love that. And it's like, you're saying that you can be that way with clothes, um, you know, which is, which is great. Yeah. 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 Yep. So one of our uh, favorite parts of the podcast, and we've we've said a lot of things that I think could apply here, but <laughs> we we always like to celebrate your recent successes, big or small. The thing that stands out to you the most 
that's happening in your life right now. So what, what thing would you like to celebrate with us on your, on this podcast right now? That's just a success that you just want to say, you know what, I haven't really stopped to really celebrate this. Uh, so what would that one thing be for you? That is a really good one. Okay. This is a very minor one. Um, (laughs) but, uh, in watching our stories the other day, uh, there were a couple of famous actors that were watching our stories. And um, it was like the guys from Workaholics. So it was like uh, Adam Devine and uh, Blake. I don't remember Blake's last name. Um, but I think just the idea of having those like sneaky people like sneaking in and watching stuff like <laughs> that. I, I know it's a minor thing, but it's like, OK, it's starting to work. Like, I don't know what they're scheming, like what their plan is, like if I'm getting an email from <laughs> agent or something like that but um maybe that's not the the best uh one to say but that was a really no i mean that's we got some attention got some eyes yeah Yeah. i mean we we do the same thing when we're looking at our stories or looking who's listening or where they're listening at in the world um we always stop and celebrate so like like we said earlier big and small and that's no small task not anybody just has celebrities watching their stories Mm -hmm. so it's it's a very um it's a very great thing to celebrate yes congratulations on that that is huge the I would say one thing is I did, um, and this is a downer and an upper at the same time, but I found out that I had skin cancer on my face and I got that removed. So it it's not like a major, I went through chemo, I'm cancer free, but I don't have it anymore. So I'm going to celebrate that. Yes. That's, great. That's the big thing that, yeah, I'm really happy about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I mean, that could have been a lot worse and it's, it's Ugh, great that yeah. you, it's great that you kicked it in the butt already. Yep. Kick the butt. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Just got to watch that pasty, pasty skin. I know it's like bad. SPF a hundred. I know. I, I smelling like the beach all the time is <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be the worst part of life. Now. Awesome. <laughs> all so, right. So where can our listeners find a pair of jeans for themselves, your store, where can they reach out to you on social media? Yes. Yeah, so billion jeans, it's like William with a B. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just type that into Google, that'll pop up with either our website or our social medias. Uh, our Instagram is our most communicative platform. That's where everything lives. Uh, our website, we don't really up. I mean, it's just, it's always kind of the, that's not the place to look. Our Instagram is, is kind of our feed. So that's where I would, I would check in every time we post something, there's either some kind of joke within there that you're not sure if it's serious or not. (laughs) Um, there's, we will only give you good content guaranteed with our our Instagram. So it is quality content. Definitely keeps me entertained. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Good. And uh, one last question. What's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's just getting into the designing clothing business, the, the world of fabric? Uh, what would you tell them as they're getting started? Okay, well, I think the, the biggest thing is to, um, oh, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's always such a tough one. But I think anytime you're doing anything, just start young. <laughs> like That's like... If you can start young, start young. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, have fun with it. And like, don't don't try to be anything more than what you are. Um, I think that uh, 
maybe the best advice would be uh, the Gavin DeGraw song that says, uh, I'm not trying to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. Um, mm -hmm. I, I remember saying that in conversation, it was just like coming out of my mouth and I was like, Gavin DeGraw. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably the best. I would just say, just literally just as you're, as you're making things, you know, get on YouTube and start watching things, see what other people are doing, but ultimately just make the thing that you want to make for yourself. And, uh, you know, when you're doing it for yourself and, and people are starting to see that, that's, that really is the best marketing. So, yeah. Yeah. Love perfectly, it. perfectly said. I love it. Well, Bill, this has been amazing. It's been so good catching up with you and getting to talk with you. And again, as a friend, I'm unbelievably proud of you as a podcaster. I'm super excited that we got to have you on as our guest and talk to you about all this. And I can't even begin to say how much I hope just the absolute best for everything going forward with you. Thank you. And you guys too. I want to take a picture real quick of us um, so I can post this. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. awesome. <laughs> That's great. And you, you have inspired, I know you will inspire and you have inspired so many people. So just a, a shout out to you for just being you and doing you and being who you are. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, we'll catch up with you in the future. So, uh, take care of yourself. Talk okay. To you okay. We'll time. see you again soon. All right. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Man, I'm just so impressed with everything that he's doing and all the things that he's got his hands in. And he just, he's got such a great creative mind. Yeah, I'm so ready to get a pair of jeans for myself because I want my butt to look good. <laughs> <laughs> I got a pair of Billiams. I got like the super skinny ones and then I gained a little bit of weight and uh, they don't, they don't quite fit me. So I need a new pair. Uh, but when they did fit me, woo, my butt looked delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That is awesome. Well, today has been so great. And thank we just want to thank you guys so much for listening, supporting. Definitely keep reaching out to us with all of your successes. We love, love, love to hear from you. Yes. And uh, be sure to check out our Patreon. Lots of good stuff going over there. Lots of bonus content coming. Uh, Patreon.com slash creative global. Uh, we're going to be you know, posting all kinds of videos and stuff on there. So make sure you sign up for that and just stay, stay involved with what we're doing. Yep, and with that, this is a Creative Global Entertainment production. Did you get motivated? Do you feel inspired? Don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses anymore, and don't forget to celebrate your successes every single day. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Reimagine Success Pod. Email us at reimaginesuccesspod at gmail.com and let us know what your successes are head over to patreon.com slash creative global for bonus and behind the scenes content. New episodes every Thursday at reimaginesuccesspod.com or your favorite podcast streaming platform. So let's change our mindsets and reimagine success. <laughs>